This is a Soulfire production. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Politically Homeless. Big day in the news today. Big day. Kamala Harris gets a little bit of power. She got to uh, pretend to be president for a little while. While Biden got a colonoscopy. That's good. That's good. I hope she doesn't get too fucking used to it, though. hope she doesn't get any crazy ideas. Because the way it's going... The way it is going, they just threw her to the wolves. They threw her to the wolves. And I enjoyed I enjoy it. I enjoy it so much. It's like I don't want to be spiteful, but at the same time, it just brings joy to my heart. I don't I maybe I'm a broken person. Maybe I'm a broken person, but watching Kamala Harris just frustrate herself to no end in this whole situation is it's just it just brings me joy. It absolutely does. And I, I feel no shame about that. Also, uh, Beto O'Rourke is going to take a take a stab at the uh, governorship of Texas, which is going to be hilarious. Hilarious to watch. I mean, Beto has support because he got the, the Obama team on his side there uh, in his little presidential run. But most of his support's not in Texas. Now, I was a Beto supporter because I have a, a level of disdain for Ted Cruz that is probably only surpassed by someone like Kamala Harris. But when he was running for Senator, I thought that'd be, I, thought that, I, I was, I was into it. I had moved out of Texas, so I couldn't vote, but I was, I was a supporter. Then he it just kept going. And then I was like, Ooh, maybe not. <laughs> maybe not. And then this comment on, yeah, yeah, we're going to take your AR 15th and it's your political career is over. That's it. In Texas. In Texas, bruh? Now, I like Beto, and I don't like when people call him a beta because he's a fit, attractive dude with a beautiful family. Seems like a great dad. Um, his wife is banging. I think she has money, too. Which even It's like, what? Dude, the guy seems pretty rad. I'd love to hang out with him. But he's not going to be the governor of Texas. Not at all. I'd like to bring him out, maybe have him on the podcast, shoot, shoot, shoot some AR-15s. That would be bad for his political career, I think. Or maybe it'd be good for his political career. He'd be like, hey, you know what? These are kind of fun. These are kind of fun. But then again, you have to also keep in mind that there was a shooting at a Walmart in El Paso where he lives. That could, it kind of taints your perspective on the way things should go. I get it. But at the same time, that uh, that campaign isn't going anywhere at all. Also, I don't know if you guys have heard about this. This, this just happened today. Rittenhouse uh, was found not guilty on all charges. <laughs> and the first thing I did, I've been waiting on this for days, and I kind of wanted to wait to do the podcast, even though we're not going to make it a whole segment because like, there's other things going on that I want to talk about, and that doesn't really seem like a great investment of time because we've talked about it at length a little bit. And at the end of the day, this is incredibly predictable, right? I mean, we saw how this was going and now we see the media meltdown. I'm 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 curious what like people like Joy Reid are going to have to say about this. Um, I think he might sue some of these mainstream media outlets. But Glenn Greenwald did make a good point that he would have to be um, 
kind of the subject of much of a lot of discovery and things like that. They're going to dig into his personal life. Might not be worth it. I think he's going to be fine. I think that he's absolutely going to be just like knee deep in conservative babes that are just going to, he's like, he's a hero to some people, which he's not a hero. Let's not, let's not do that. Let's not. Can we be politically homeless here and say like, yeah, this kid shouldn't have been there. But at the same time, he didn't do anything illegal. He doesn't seem like a bad kid. I mean, we're like, imagine being 17 again. Just think about yourself when you were 17. And my mom wasn't responsible. And, and yes, I left the house with guns dozens of times, at least, <laughs> when, I was in my, was I, when I was a teenager. That was a thing that we did all the time. We, where I grew up, it shows you, I mean, this is, wasn't that long ago. I graduated high school like 15 years ago. When I grew up, we kept guns in our trucks in the school parking lot. Now, that was obviously against the rules, but we did it anyways because after football practice, we would go dove hunting and stuff. So we would just keep a shotgun in the toolbox, keep it locked, and then we'd pull off campus and load them all up into one truck and get the hell out of here and go shoot some birds, you know? That was a thing we did. That was a normal thing. Wouldn't advise doing that now. But again, we were 16, 17, 18 years old. We were dumb. We were dumb kids. And we're like, we're not shooting up a school. Who fuck, you know, that's not what this is about <laughs> at all. We were dumb kids. And maybe it's not a good idea to let your kid go to a riot with a AR. Like, maybe that's just not, like, maybe not a good idea. But the kid was a lifeguard, and he did, he did work on some people, some of the protesters and rioters. And, you know, at the end of the day, it was a fucking shit show. And things like this happen in a shit show. There's much more egregious cases. For example... If we want to do this, we want to like if we want to pick a hill to die on. If you're you know BLM type person, Ahmad Aubrey, that kid, that dude, right? And which narratives got pulled a bunch of different ways, and like, well, he was stealing from this. I was like, dude, <laughs> these fucking rednecks that rolled up on him in a truck with a shotgun and killed this guy. I don't give a shit if he burned the fucking house down that was being built. I don't give a fuck. Like none of these things are punishable by death by some vigilante fucking vigilante fucking retards, right? Pick that case. We don't hear much about that case right now. That's the case to focus on. If that's your agenda, that's what you're trying to to, to focus on is that case. If that's really where you're spending your time, it isn't in this one. And that's the thing is it because it's had so much media hype around it. By the way, this kid only shot white people. You know, and like, well, it was a, one guy was a pedophile and it's like, well, I don't, I don't know. Like I was, uh, yeah, he didn't know that either at the time. It's not like this guy had like a sex offender lanyard on, but it, it, no one's a hero here. There are no heroes here. Everybody wants to make somebody a hero. If there's no heroes here, the kid, yeah, he's not guilty. Of course. Also, and I tweeted this earlier, that doesn't mean that our criminal justice system isn't fucked, Right. It doesn't mean the criminal justice system is not fucked and that it, it needs reform. I want to talk about that a little bit on, today on the show just to, to see some fracturing within the Republican Party around the legalization of marijuana, which I find very interesting uh, because it's a no-brainer. It's a layup. It's a layup. So, yeah, we'll get into some stuff. We've got some good stuff to talk about today. And I do, I wanted to cover, just discuss the Rittenhouse stuff briefly Um because, I mean, obviously it's the biggest story in the news today, but we're going to be inundated with that, and I thought this might be a reprieve from that um, as opposed to breaking it down because I think most of us are in alignment here that it was a shit show. 
there's no winning here, right? There's not a win. It's not a win. That's why I didn't want to say he won the trial, right? It's like he was not guilty because he's not guilty. But that doesn't mean there's not a, a way to, for us to look at this with some kind of self-reflection. I mean, couldn't the police have done their job and protected these businesses and individuals and stopped rioters? Like, so there's, there's fault all the way around with this thing. So yeah, weird stuff. Crazy shit. But... I think he's going to be all right. And then you have these people that are like, oh, he'll have a Fox News show and whatever. I just want this kid, you know what I would like for this kid to go, for him to be able to go back and have a normal life, which is not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And that's certainly not going to happen for someone like Ahmaud Aubrey and their, their family who was, who was gunned down in cold blood. And I will pick that hill to die on. And I do have a different perspective here because I don't really have a lot of love for cops. I don't, and I'm sure there are some cops that are listening to this, and I know a lot of good cops. But I also know a lot of cops who are pieces of fucking human garbage on power trips. And that's a lot of times small-town cops. A lot of times that's where I grew up in Texas. There's more cops in my hometown that are necessary. But I think probably two times, right? For what? To give high school kids tickets for window tent? (laughs) And to, to lock up addicts as if they're solving some kind of drug problem in my hometown, which my hometown does have a drug problem, and so does this fucking country by, you know, by orders of magnitude over the rest of the world. But I think that the, the, the Reagan-era, Nixon-era solutions to those problems are fucking retarded, and they do not work, and we've seen that. So we've got a lot of work to do, and I think we need to understand that. We have a lot of work to do as a country, and we need, and for us to even get there, for us to even get there and get started, because we haven't even started. The work, the progress we need to make as a country has not started yet. That's the interesting thing to think about, right? Like, we're so, and I've got this book behind me, Bad News, um, that I'm really excited to break open and get into, and I usually don't read physical books, but she doesn't have an audible book. So, going physical with this one. Got to break out my reading cap. But, when we look at this, we haven't even been able to start to make progress. Because, you have one side of the political aisle making bad faith arguments in favor of, let's use the term wokeness, as I sigh, (laughs) right? In favor of the woke religion, and then you have a bunch of people on the other side of the political aisle, the, 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 the partisans on the other side, that are arguing in bad faith arguments against wokeness. And yeah, one side tends to be right more than the other right now, which is uncharacteristic for that side when it comes to culture wars. And they're basking in it, but that <laughs> both of those things keep us from making any real progress. And that's why this fucking show keeps growing. That's why <laughs> the audience gets bigger every week reliably because one you guys are badass and you share this stuff and I appreciate the fuck right out of that and also I think and maybe this is my own narcissism that that what we're talking about here and what we're doing with here and in the patreon like I'm constantly impressed by the feedback I get by the questions I get asked by the way I get challenged oftentimes it's a good thing It's a good thing. So I think that more and more people are noticing 
that we're spinning our wheels and noticing that we're not making progress and noticing that we need to. And that's one of the things that frustrates me about conservatives. And, and feel free to reach out to me and, and disagree with me here. But I look at this and I don't think that many conservatives want to make progress. I love conservatives that want to make progress. And we're going to talk about one on the show today, as I said. But it seems like they just want things to be the way they were, which is not progress, right? Like, we need to grow and evolve and adapt as a country, as, a, as communities. These are important things. And the landscape of our world changes. Like, the landscape of our world changed with the printing press, with the advent of social media. Like, things change, and our society has to adapt to those things. The way we do education, like, the metaverse is going to be a thing. Right? Like, it is going to be a thing. Augmented reality is part of our future. Self-driving cars is part of our near future that we will see in our lifetime. That will fundamentally change the landscape. And we need to address those kind of things. We got we to be here. We got to say, hey, the other thing we've been doing for 60 years, this drug war isn't working, man. You know? And how about this? We've got this labor shortage here where we need people to fill these roles, these lower paying roles. Well, I know <laughs> there's a 450,000 people that are locked up for nonviolent drug crimes that would be happy to have a job and be on the fucking outside. You know, there's nothing more motivating, I think, in many ways than getting out of jail and being like, God damn, I don't want to go back there. And here are tons of jobs. Tons of jobs. So we'll see. We'll see. But I'm getting fed up and I've been this way for a while now. And maybe you are, too, of just not ma- of not moving forward, <laughs> you know. I'm not moving forward. And we're not we're just doing a piss poor job of it. And then we got we have acknowledged that too. I don't know any anywhere who is making progress right now. It seems like the whole world is ripping itself in two, but I'd like to see that. I would. But Rittenhouse is off. Good for him. Hope this kid can have a decent life. Um he's gonna be dealing with a lot. One, because he ended people's lives, which as we've discussed in this show is not a joke and not something to be taken lightly especially for someone that age. But here we are. Now, before we get into the show, shameless plug, join the fucking Patreon. Join it. Do it. It's $6 a month, guys. Politically Homeless Patreon. Patreon.com slash Politically Homeless. Bonus episode every week. Crowdsourced from uh, the community for the community. Great questions. Great dialogue. I've been trying to just share more articles and videos and things in there that I've been that I'm curious about and create discussions. But the more people that are in there, the more questions, the better questions, the better dialogue, and it's really fun. I find it really, really fascinating in there. And, 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 and it, maybe because we don't see this very often in our world, but every week I drop in and say, "Hey, you know, AMA topic request, three, two, one, go. What you got?" And some of the best questions in there are someone saying something or, or bringing something up, then someone else responding to that. And then like we have this essentially like conversation that I read on the premium podcast and we get to dive in, you know, we get to dive in. And once we get over a hundred patrons, we're going to change some things up, do some more um, like zoom style hangouts and things like that. And I'm excited for that kind of stuff. And it really is. I, I, I love the guys that are in there. Those of you who have pulled the trigger means the world to me. It helps the show so much. It helps me be able to, be able to spend more time on this because at the end of the day, sometimes I do have to sacrifice the show to do other things that are more financially viable. And I would love that not to be the case. 
So if you can support, I'd really appreciate it. Check it out. Links are in the show notes of this show. Just scroll down. You can do it while you're listening. And if you want to go on a browser, it's Patreon, again, dot com slash politically homeless. Now, it's time. Got a lot to discuss today. State of things coming at you. We all know that I um I have some thoughts and some feelings about civilian casualties and meaningless wars that exist to line the pockets of military industrial complex contractors, generals that are in and out of politics and on and off of boards, places like Raytheon and Boeing and Lockheed Martin. I have thoughts, and we all know. We all know there's layers and layers of corruption and civilians that aren't Americans, and even Americans oftentimes, but generally speaking, civilians that aren't Americans aren't really considered, unless it's politically convenient for the corporate media to discuss these kind of things because it fits their narrative, which is very, very clear, very clear. But I wanted to bring this up, this this really good piece of reporting by the New York Times, which every now and then they do. They do an amazing job. And this is a really, really great piece. I would recommend looking it up. We're going to just read through the first part of this and just break this down because this happens. If you think that this is a rare occurrence, you're being incredibly naive. Incredibly naive. Um, How the U.S. hid an airstrike that killed dozens of civilians in Syria. In the last days of the battle against the Islamic State in Syria, when members of the once fierce caliphate were cornered in a dirt field next to a town called Baghuz, in U.S. military, a U.S. military drone circled high overhead, hunting for military targets. But it only saw a large crowd of women and children huddled against a riverbank. Without warning, an American F-15E attack jet streaked across the drone's high-definition field a vision and dropped a 500 pound bomb on the crowd, swallowing it in a sudden blast. As the smoke cleared, a few people stumbled away in search of cover. Then a jet tracking them dropped one 2000 pound bomb, then another killing most of the survivors. It was March 18th, 2019 and the U S military's busy combined air operations center in Al Udeed air base in Qatar uniformed, uh, personnel watched the live drone footage, looked on in a stunned, in stunned disbelief, according to one officer who was there. Who dropped that? A confused analyst typed in a secure chat system being used by the mo- by those monitoring the drone. Two people who reviewed the chat log recalled. Another responded, we just dropped on 50 women and children. The initial battle damage assessment quickly found that the number of dead was actually about 70. The, Bagu- ba- the Baghuz strike was one of the largest civilian casualty incidents of the war against the Islamic State. But it has never been publicly acknowledged by the U.S. military. The details reported here for the first time show that the death toll was almost immediately apparent to military officials. A legal officer flagged the strike as a possible war crime that required an investigation. But at nearly every step, the military made moves 
that concealed the catastrophic strike. The death toll was downplayed. Reports were delayed, sanitized, and classified. United States-led coalition forces bulldozed the blast sites, and top leaders were not notified. Wow. Let's continue. The Defense Department's independent inspector general began an inquiry, but the report containing its findings were stalled and stripped of any mention of the strike. Quote, leadership just seemed set on burying this. No one wanted anything to do with it, said Gene Tate, an evaluator who worked on the case for the inspector general's office and agreed to discuss the aspects that were not classified. Quote, it makes you lose faith in the system when people are trying to do what's right, but no one in positions of leadership wants to hear it. Mr. Tate, a former Navy officer who had worked for years as a civilian analyst in the uh, Defense Intelligence Agency and the National Counterterrorism Center before moving to the inspector general's office, said he criticized the lack of action and was eventually forced out of his job. That's what happens. That's what happens if you're honest and principled. You get forced out of your job. And that's the norm. That's why people don't do it. The details of the strike were pieced together by the New York Times over a month of, from confidential documents and descriptions of classified reports, as well as interviews with personal personnel directly involved and officials with top security clearances who discussed the incident on the condition that they were not to be named. The Times investigation found that the bombing had been called by a classified American Special Operations Unit, Unit Task Force 9, which was in charge of ground operations in Syria. The task force operation, operated in such secrecy that at times it did not inform even its own military partners of its actions. In the case of, Baguz, of the Baguz bombing, I'm saying that wrong, I'm sure. The American Air Force commander in Qatar had no idea the strike was coming. An officer who served at the command center said, in the minutes after the strike, an alarmed Air Force intelligence officer in the operations center called over an Air Force lawyer in charge of determining the legality of strikes. The lawyer ordered the F-15E squadron and the drone crew to preserve all video and other evidence. According to documents obtained by the Times, he went upstairs and reported the strike to his chain of command, saying it was possible violation of law and armed conflict, a war crime, and regulations required a thorough independent investigation. <sighs> so, this is where we're at. Now, this is heavy to start the show on, and of course I'm not a good reader, as you all know, but... This is something that we don't hear talked about very often. The fact that the New York Times even picked this up is kind of astonishing to me. 70 people, women and kids, dead due to, a, due to Task Force 9, who was in charge of ground operations, who didn't have really any oversight. Going fucking rogue. Let's keep going. This week, after the New York Times sent its findings to the U.S. Central Command, which oversaw the air war in Syria, the command acknowledged the strike for the first time, saying 80 people were killed, but the airstrikes were justified. It says that the bombings killed 16 fighters and four children. As for the other 60 people killed, the statement said it was not clear that they were civilians, in part because women and children in the Islamic State sometimes took up arms. Hmm. Weird. The only assessment done immediately after the strike was performed by the same ground unit that ordered the strike. Oh, imagine that. The only assessment done immediately, immediately after the strike was performed by the same ground unit that ordered the strike. It determined that the bombing was lawful. 
because it killed only a small number of civilians while, tar while targeting Islamic State fighters in an attempt to protect coalition forces, the commander said. Therefore, no formal war crime notification, criminal investigation, or disciplinary action was warranted, it said, adding that the other deaths were accidental. Oops! Oops! <laughs> this song and dance is so fucking comical. And, de and depressing and sad and criminal. <sighs> but the Air Force lawyer, Lieutenant, Lieutenant Colonel Dean Warsack, believed he had witnessed possible war crimes and repeatedly pressed the leadership and Air Force criminal investiga investigators to act. When they did not, he alerted the Defense Department's independent inspector general two years after the strike, seeing no evidence that the watchdog agency was taking action. Colonel Corsack emailed the Senate Armed Service Committee telling its staff that he had top-secret material to discuss and adding, I'm putting myself at great risk of military retaliation for sending this. Senior ranking U.S. military officials intentionally and systematically circumvented the deliberate strike process he wrote in an email which was obtained by the times much of the material was classified and he would need to need to be discussed through secure communications he said he wrote that a unit had intentionally entered false strike log entries clearly seeking to cover up the incidents calling the classified death toll shockingly high and said the military did not follow its own requirements to reporting its investigating and investigating the strike there was a good chance, he wrote, that the highest levels of government remained unaware of what was happening on the ground. So it's more of that. And they break this down. This is a very long article. And I know it was a struggle to listen to me read through all that. But I had to point this out. Because these are this is dozens of innocent people killed, covered up, and no one held to account. If you do not hold these people to account for war crimes, then there is no incentive to not commit war crimes. Okay? And we heard this, that Trump was the most anti-war president, yada, 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 all this other bullshit, when really he just substituted our actual military with military contractors that he could keep off the books. Right? This is what, we, this is what we've been doing for 20 fucking years. Over and over again. And if you think that killing a bunch of civilians does not create more extremists out of those survivors, you are deluding yourself. It perpetuates the endless war cycle. Is Islamist extremism good? No, I would think not. But creating more extremists so that you have more justification to create more war is also not good. But the thing is, the way this, this country works, it's good for a small amount of people. And sometimes that small amount of people, those the small number of people that it is good for, just happen to hold the levers of power. Right? And just happen to have undue influence on the action that our country takes. And it's something we don't talk about enough at all. We praise the military and and by all rights, our our military servicemen and women put themselves at great risk and oftentimes do it because they believe in something. That being said, that does not mean that just because they wear the uniform, right? That they're not fucking criminals. And just because they say they're doing it for a just reason 
or that they can self-investigate their own criminal behavior, it doesn't mean that they're right. It doesn't mean it's just. It doesn't mean it's protecting anybody or anything. We've been lied to over and over again, and I have to bring this to light. Whenever I see it, I will continue to follow stories just like this because they're not covered enough. You know, it may be, if this is all over the news, right, actual innocent civilians being killed, maybe if it was all over the news in the same way that Kyle Rittenhouse was, we could make some changes. But instead, we're going to cry about shit that's a much of much smaller scale and much smaller consequence because our priorities are fucked. Our priorities are fucked. Moving on. So I don't know if you guys saw this the other day, but uh, Tim Pool had a camper van or a um, RV or something. He had Alex Jones, Joe Rogan, uh, Michael Malice, and Blair White. On his podcast, uh, it was it was a shit show. It was really hard to listen to. It was a lot of people talking over each other, but there was some gold in there and little things getting pointed out. Um, but there's something that Rogan said that I found that I just really moved me. It really moved. I was like, this is so spot on, and something I've been saying over and over again, especially when addressing people on the right. So let's just jump into this real quick and see what he has to say. Oh, uh, Young Turks. Said that you know Joe Rogan's basically Alex Jones or Tucker Carlson at this point, That's and and Jeez. people responded saying so is Crystal and Sager, well, and and I, when they why left, are we listening to Sink Turd? It's not it's not about why are we? It's about why does he have millions of subscribers and get thirty million views? He was forced fed everybody. You, why are you distracting me when I have to leave? You keep going down these dark alleys. Oh, dude, There's it's no just getting Resetwars.com. No what do you mean, like? Like a, a, like a place you can't. I want to talk about Klaus Schwab. Here we go. Hey, hey, no, 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 Joe's let's, 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 let's go. Point. Let me make a point. Let's get a final is, statement from the, the great point? Joe Rogan. It's, it's, the I, I love the idea that we can bring everyone together, but some people are just diametrically yeah, but, opposed but to what obvious. we believe. In. After a while, you watch that guy talk, and you're like, it's just so silly. All right, let me get a question into Joe, Joe before he's got to go. These are silly people. Let me get a question. But hold on. There's so many fucking silly people. You know, like, you don't have to take into consideration their statements about every fucking thing that happens with every person. You realize they're silly. You know they're silly. That's why you brought them up. Ignore them. No, no, no. I didn't bring him up because he's silly. I brought him up because he gets tens of millions no, of views. No, he doesn't. Yes, he, he, does he, he does. He does. He does not. If you look at all the views, but how many how many individual unique people are there? It's not tens of millions. No, no, no. I'm, saying, I'm, not, I'm not talking about unique. I'm just right, saying. But it's the same fucking people. It's like if tens of millions of people, they put out a lot of content. They have 100,000. Okay, Joe's got to go. Can I ask one question? Can I ask one question? But it doesn't matter. Joe, you agree with them or disagree with them. You don't, if you don't agree with them, you don't have to keep bringing them up over and over and over again. Just fucking ignore them. They're hey, only Joe, as relevant just, as, you, as we make them. Yeah. Can I ask just one question? Okay, so we'll stop there. But I wanted to hear that. I wanted to. I wanted you guys to hear that. I want, I want to hear what you have to think about. What you what you have to say about this? Because I've been saying the same thing. We have people like like uh, Ben Shapiro, right? Ben Shapiro, who's reacting to woke leftist TikToks. Like that's what Ben Shapiro is doing with his time. I see a video every week of him reacting to some crazy person on TikTok, which is very much clickbait, right? That's, that's what he's doing. And I like some of Ben's stuff, but that's fucking ridiculous. Why? You breathe life into the thing, right? You have these people with these big audiences like Tim, these other guys, and they bring up like the craziest fucking thing from the left or the craziest stupid fucking thing from the right. Can you just disagree with someone and move on, right? And you're, you're picking out some 19-year-old with blue hair and like seven nose piercings. Like who fucking cares? Like who cares? Kids in college think dumb shit. 
Surprise, surprise, it's been that way forever. What are we doing here? And breathing life into that stuff over and over again and bringing them up and bringing them up, it just points more people their way, which is what you actually want. And that's what I'm getting at here. When you have people like Charlie Kirk, Candace Owens, right? These guys, these people, bringing up the people they disagree with all the time, all the time, and using that to paint a straw man of people that they can't actually debate because that would actually be challenging, right? You got to take the lowest common denominator, and take that person and then paint the entire half of the country as in alignment with some crazy fucking person all the time, over and over again. Ignore them. If you ignore these people, they go away. It's like a child having a tantrum, okay? If you just ignore them, they learn that their fucking egregious behavior doesn't get them the attention they want. And don't get yourself twisted here. Of course, what they want is attention and you're giving it to them. You're giving it to them. I mean, I think that the Ben Shapiro videos of, of owning the libs on some college campus somewhere, Steven Crowder, same thing. It's like, let's go argue with college kids. You're a grown man, dude. You're a grown man. I mean, I watched Steven Crowder avoid a, a debate with Sam Cedar, a socialist. Well, if your ideology is so strong, then debate Sam Cedar, Steven. But no, you got to go prove me wrong on a fucking college campus so you can argue with children. Does that make you feel smart? Does that make you feel superior to someone because you can you can make a, a child feel dumb? We do this all the time, and it's so it's just so obnoxious. And then the people on the right want to complain about the culture war when all they do is get views and get paid from the culture war that they complain about constantly. And I'm just fucking tired of it. You're crybaby snowflake bitches, and I can't fucking deal with you anymore. Like, stop it. Stop it, children. Stop. You know how easy it'd be for me to go find some crazy fucking conservative somewhere and put them on my show every week and make them look stupid and then make half my audience think that I'm a fucking judgmental asshole and then have the other side throwing thumbs up and hearts. I could do that both sides all day, every fucking day, all, all the time. And yeah, I might have a million subscribers. That'd be great. And I might get paid, but I'd be selling my soul to do it because it doesn't fucking matter. And what an adult would do is ignore them. Why breathe life into it? Why? Because it's a fucking layup. And what you want is validation. And what you want is to win. And you do that, you do that by embodying a straw man argument over and over again. And it's hard to watch because some of these people are actually smart. Some of them are actually smart. Now, are Charlie Kirk and Candace Owens good faith actors? No. No, they're not. They like to win. They like attention. They're attention whores, both of them. And I know that because I'm a bit of an attention whore myself. Takes one to know one, right? But there's ways to do it, and there's ways not to do it. And maybe that's my own judgment, my own perspective. I don't know. But what I can tell you is that if you think that these Republican commentators, these conservative commentators, want the culture war to end, that's like saying that MSNBC did not benefit from Donald Trump as president. Think about the ratings. Think about the money. Think about the attention. It's the same thing. It's a mirror image. Two sides of the same coin. And Joe knows that. I know that. I think that my audience knows that. 
But for some reason, people love it. It's a reality show. It's not news. It's not commentary. It's not thoughtful discourse. It's not diversity of thought. It's keeping up with the fucking Kardashians. It's the flavor of love. Actually, yeah, I think, I think it's, the flavor of love is probably a better one. That's about the level of intellect that exists within that type of content. Now, maybe you're better than that. I, hope, I like to think that I am, but maybe I'm a self-righteous prick. I don't know. But I thought that was a really poignant take from Joe. And I also think he was high as fuck, but uh, <laughs> what do I know? Today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at Cured Nutrition. These guys put together a blend of cannabinoids, adaptogens, and medicinal mushrooms to give you that good, good feeling. Whether you want it in the morning or you want it at night, you want it during the day, you want to think better, you want some nootropic effects, these are your go-to supplements. Guys, quality over quantity when it comes to what you put in your body, all right? These guys are a local Colorado business. First off, supporting local businesses is great. Second, they have a wide array of amazing products. Right before I started recording the podcast today, I was sipping on a Euphoria beverage. It's like Sprite, but it doesn't have sugar in it. And it's got CBD mushrooms and vitamin D. I mean, we know vitamin D may help you fight off the unknown virus of unknown origins cannot claim that. They do not claim that, but I'm telling you that maybe those things are correlated and maybe a great way to get that vitamin D is through a delicious bubbly beverage, Euphoria Ginger Lime. Check it out. They've got a back salve. If your muscles are tight because you've been in the gym busting it up, deadlifting heavy-ass weights and you're a little stiff, grab that salve, baby. Grab it. Put it on you. It tingles. It feels great. If your dog is a little stressed out, maybe a little anxious, grab that paw, that raw paw CBD, son, developed for your pet. Now, one of the things that's really cool about Cure is they do have these bundles. So a lot of their stuff is focused for the morning or uh, mental acuity during the day or getting better sleep. So it's really targeted. It's not some like general shotgun blast approach. It's targeted to specific parts of the day to help you perform better. Now, what you need to do is go to curednutrition.com. The link is in the show notes of this show. And if you use promo code HOMELESS, you're going to get 10% off and free shipping. They also have some sales going on. You can subscribe and save 20%. Black Friday stuff is going on. So definitely do yourself a favor and check that out. Again, if you have any friends that are into this kind of stuff and want to try this out, maybe your parents, things like that, it's a great gift you can get for them. It's in stock. You can get this stuff sent to you. It'll be there quick. It's not on some boat outside of LA waiting to get into the country. You can do this now. So if you're looking for gifts and you're like, man, everything's gone, try this out. This is a great opportunity to introduce someone to this style of treating yourself right, this style of wellness, this just way of being, really. At the end of the day, it's a lifestyle. You know what I mean? It's a lifestyle. Check it out, guys. CuredNutrition.com, promo code politically, or no, promo code homeless, excuse me. Wow. Politically homeless is too long of a promo code, so we just went with homeless. But that's it. Try that. Do it today CureNutrition.com, promo code HOMELESS. And, of course, as always, we got our friends over at Element, Elemental Labs, creating the best electrolyte beverage that you will ever put in your face. Again, no sugar, because we're, we're a no-sugar household over here. Okay, we don't keep sugar around. 
you don't eat a lot of sugar. I mean, I may overindulge with dark chocolate sometimes, but when I feel like I may be overdoing it, what I use is that chocolate element with hot water. Mix it in the hot water, and you get a little hot cocoa with some salty kick, and it is fucking delicious. Guys, Element is fantastic, developed by the team led by Rob Wolf, a pioneer in the health and fitness space, and just an OG of eating real food and living a real life. Okay, he would not put his stamp of approval on something that was not outstanding, and Element is very much outstanding. Okay, I talked a lot today. I'm not putting words together very well, but you know what I'm saying here. All right. Every day I wake up, I get my cold brew, and I get my element, and honestly, I feel so much better. It's hard to stay hydrated when you're up at altitude, or when the wintertime comes on, it gets a little cooler, you don't want to drink as much water. Adding a little bit of palatability to that, and hijacking your reward system, because it is sweet, and it does taste good, but there is no sugar in it. So you're hijacking yourself to curve cravings while stay hydrated, and replenish things like magnesium, which are essential to keep your body going. It's good in the gym. It's good in the morning. It's good at night. A variety of flavors that are outstanding. And you can try a variety pack for just $5 to cover shipping. The pack is free. All you got to do is cover shipping. Go to drinklmnt.com slash wanders. Again, the link is in my show notes. Go down there, click it, get your variety pack. If you've already gotten a variety pack and you loved it, I recommend mint chocolate if you're into that kind of flavor. I know a lot of people aren't. You can go with just chocolate, but the mint chocolate has just been released. Absolutely delicious. And I cannot get enough of the watermelon. I've got a pack of watermelon and a jug of spring water in my office, in my studio right now. I hit that all the time. I probably drink one of those a day. I have to sometimes switch over just because I'm like, man, I need to change it up because watermelon is so damn good. It is fantastic. So check it out, guys. Drink Element, D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com slash Wanders. Link is in the show notes. Get yourself support. Companies that support this show, they have, they have the courage. They really do. And I'm proud of them for doing it. And I hope that you can go out of your way a little bit today and support these amazing companies, and support your own wellness. It's part of being political homeless is taking care of yourself. Cured nutrition, element, do it, make it happen. Now, let's get back to the show. Well, we all know that there is some kind of um, constructive media narrative around COVID and vaccines, and it seems pretty uh, cohesive and maybe coordinated or maybe favorable to... One side ideologically. And you may ask yourself, like, why is that? Why are we seeing that? What is that about? But uh, I have a little bit of information for you that I think might help you understand. Revealed documents show Bill Gates has given $319 million to media outlets. Huh. That's curious. Let's just scroll down here and see what we're looking at. NPR. NPR, $24 million. The Guardian, $12 million. Even the other ones that we know of here. Um, NBC Universal Media, 4 million. BBC, 3.6. CNN, 3.6. Oh, Financial Times, 2.3. Texas Tribune, 2.3. Interesting. The Atlantic, 1.4. Al Jazeera, 1 million. ProPublica, 1 million. That's your fact checkers right there. That's fantastic. Um, keep and go. PBS, half a million. Good stuff here. Media Trust, 100,000. So, we have to ask ourselves, what kind of influence might this have on coverage? Now, even if we are very charitable in the way we look at this, even if we're very charitable and say, hey, you know, 
These are journalists, right? They might, they might actually want to do their jobs. But maybe you might decide when a story comes up that's inconvenient to one of your donors that there's probably better things to cover. Maybe there's different news to cover. Maybe you could find something more important, you know? Like really what we should talk, be talking about instead of maybe the issues with lockdowns and suicide rates and ah, vaccine rollouts and how natural immunity isn't really considered uh, valid even though it's better. Um, maybe instead of covering that, we'll talk about something that pisses people off, like systemic racism. Instead of actually informing people, let's just really, let's get to the real important issues. The real important issues like AOC's dress, right? Or maybe we can talk about January 6th some more because it's the greatest threat to our democracy since the Civil War. Maybe we'll do that instead. Do you think that might have an influence? Now, there's not much to say here. You can make your mind up for yourself. But I think when NPR is getting 24.6% million dollars it might just mold their coverage a bit or maybe the guardian getting 12.9 million followers might influence their ideology because if someone threw me 12.9 million dollars i might say all kinds of shit you know i would i would i would sell my credibility for 12.9 million dollars <laughs> it's a weird time to be alive. And now we have to think, well, what if we just follow the money everywhere, right? What if we just follow the money everywhere? What could that expose? What if we really knew what was going on behind the curtain? But something worth sharing, something I wanted to share with you. Make up your own mind. What do you think? What do you think? How do you think this has influenced coverage it's a valid question there's this funny trend i notice in partisan politics right sometimes democrats like have an easy win right they're just like okay here's the thing that 80 percent of our people want um we can make it happen and then they just take a sharp left turn to do something completely meaningless right and then they so they essentially pass the political football to the republicans who then proceed to completely shit the bed. And this is a perfect example of that. Because this is, I mean, this is just so fun to watch. South Carolina Republican introduces bill to decriminalize marijuana at the federal level. Representative Nancy May said she's trying to build GOP support for the bill, drawing a rebuke from top Republicans in her state. So let's hear what she has to say. Congresswoman Mates wanting to decriminalize marijuana at the federal level. It truly is a nonpartisan issue. This is an issue that Pretty people girl. want to see movement on. Um, Republicans and Democrats alike. It put the power of legality in the state's hands. It's the reason why there are 47 states like South Carolina that have some form of cannabis uh, allowed in their states. And so this issue is not going away. It would also allow federal release for 2,600 felons convicted of nonviolent cannabis-only related offenses, except cartel members and agents. State Representative J.A. Moore says this will benefit minority communities here in the low country. Here in Charleston, over uh, African Americans are more than four times likely to be arrested because of cannabis-related uh, stops. So, And let's say that right there. I, I want to point that out. And he said, because he was kind of quiet, African-Americans are four times more likely to be arrested on uh, cannabis-related stops. Do you think that black people 
smoke four times as much weed as white people. Do you think that four times as many black people smoke weed as white people? (laughs) Of course not. Of course not. So let's think about that. Let's just consider that in our thought process as we continue to listen to this. Uh, I'm looking at it from a criminal justice reform. While Mace received support for legalization, the South Carolina Republican Party released a statement of the bill saying in part, Our party platform is clear. We support firm enforcement of existing laws against the abuse and distribution of controlled substances. And we opposed any effort to legalize the use of controlled substances. And that includes marijuana. Mace says she... Don't legalize controlled substances except for pharmaceutical drugs, uh, cigarettes, alcohol. <laughs> Jesus Christ. This bill is the turnkey in cannabis reform and hopes to see both Republicans and Democrats to work together to get it done. It's one thing to talk about it on the campaign trail and I campaigned on this issue. It's another to actually do it and get it done. And so I'm asking Republicans and Democrats alike, put your money where your mouth is and let's go. All right. Well, I'm in full support of this woman. Absolutely. Fantastic. Love hearing it. Love seeing it. Good morning, everyone. God, Nancy Pelosi. Ugh, your voice kills me. So we got this. We got a Republican congresswoman that's reading the writing on the wall. Reading the writing on the wall. Saying, hey, we got to do this. Let's let's get these people out of prison. Obviously, we have a labor shortage, as we brought up earlier. We get a labor shortage. Here's a bunch of able-bodied people in jail for victimless crimes. Let's get them the fuck out of there. Okay? Because that's unjust on its own. And it's a humongous tax burden. Although the private prison system, which was supposed to be abolished and is not, um, those guys are lying in their pockets for sure. But it's completely absurd. It disproportionately impacts uh, minority communities and poor communities. That's who gets arrested for this shit. Okay? It's plain and fucking simple. All right? We know that. I mean, I've even talked about this at length. Cocaine is fucking legal as long as you can afford bottle service. As long as you can afford bottle service. You ever go to a club, next time you're in a club, just look at the bottle service area and see how many people are turning their, turning their shoulder and a little bit of that right there. Huh? It's all over the place. No one gives a fuck. No one gives a fuck. It's an essential piece of police reform. Decriminalize marijuana. Put it to the states. Put it to the states and force ballot initiatives. It's called fucking democracy. Put it to the states, decriminalize federally, get LSD and mushrooms off the Schedule 1 drug fucking list. What are they doing there? What are they do? Mandatory minimum of seven years for LSD? Really? Because you want to see bright colors and shapes and talk to a fucking tree? That's harmless. Shut up. So you want to try mushrooms to, to deal with some emotional trauma? And that's a, that's a problem. That's a, what, is, what do they think is going to happen here? What do they think? What is the, the possible downside that doesn't already exist in, in spades with things like alcohol? Not to mention the prescription drug overdoses that are all over the place. Let's, let's not, you can't overdose on mushrooms. You can give me a trash bag full of mushrooms and I'll eat it till I can't eat anymore. I'm still not going to overdose. I'm being weird for a few days. That's for sure. It's not about safety. It's not about keeping people safe. It's not about protecting the children. It's about limiting your fucking freedom to explore your own consciousness and alter it in ways that you see fit. If you are pro-freedom, if you are pro-freedom, you're pro-legalization of marijuana, 
You're pro-decriminalization of mushrooms, LSD, and other psychedelics. You're pro-Second Amendment. And you're pro-choice. If you're not those things, you're not pro-freedom. Sorry to break that fucking news to you. But finally, you find a Republican that's doing the work that needs to be done to make this a mainstream issue. And the Republicans, all they need to do is shut the fuck up about abortion and double down on legalizing marijuana and they will have nothing in their way from cruising to victories. That's it. It's that simple. It is that simple. Expunge the records of victimless drug crimes. Get those people out of prison. Get them into the workforce. And let's get back to life, man. You have the right. I'm telling you right now. You have the right to explore your own consciousness in the way you see fit. That is your right as a human being and an American. Now, I'm not going to praise the conservatives for this, and here's why I'm not going to. This is the bare minimum. The bare minimum is righting the wrong that they did. Okay? Just like this is a Nixon-Reagan-era bullshit fuckery thing that was racist from the jump. And classist from the jump. They wanted to punish punish blacks and hippies. That's what they wanted to do. So they were prosecuting their political enemies. That's what what Nixon wanted to do with this. And then Reagan perpetuated it. And then so did Clinton, right? He didn't start it, but he doubled down. In the same way that Clinton is responsible for NAFTA. And then Bush doubled down. They're both to be held to account. But the conservatives started this shit. With their fear-mongering and their communists smoke weed and whatever other kind of bullshit they were saying. It was fucking absurd then. It's absurd now. But we have these antiquated, archaic laws. And we can't, the Democrats can't even do a goddamn thing to fix this. They talk about it in rhetoric only. And we'll see if the Republicans get their shit together. But I will tell you this. Once the boomer Republicans die, this party, that party is going to look much different. Much different and much better, in my opinion. Same thing with these boomer Democrats. These neoliberal fucks. We got to get rid of that, man. And, and you will see this. The, the country is moving in a much more populist direction. A much more populist, a much more civil libertarian direction, especially after all these lockdowns. And part of that, and I'll say it again, I'll say it till I'm blue in the face, is accepting the fact that you have the right as a human being and an American to explore your own consciousness and alter your own consciousness. It is yours. It does not belong to the fucking state. It does not belong to the federal government. It does not belong to anybody else but you. It doesn't belong to the fucking church. Don't buy that bullshit. It's yours, and you could do with it what you see fit. That is a pro-freedom stance. And if you do not align with that, I hate to break it to you, but you're not pro-freedom. You can be pro other things, but you're sure as hell not pro-freedom. Well, I know a lot of you guys were frustrated and stressed out by this OSHA ruling and the, the, the mandates passed down for larger businesses uh, from Biden, and we've got this right now. OSHA suspends Biden co- Biden's COVID-19 vaccine mandate after court challenge. It is officially suspended. Now... 
Let's get into this and we'll discuss just a bit. The Occupational Safety and Health Administration has suspended enforcement of Biden's administration's sweeping COVID-19 vaccine mandate for larger companies after federal appeals court upheld a decision to pause it last week. Quote, while OSHA remains confident in its authority to protect workers in emergencies, OSHA has suspended activities related to implementation and enforcement of the ETS pending further development in the legislation, legislation or litigation. Excuse me. Biden announced the mandate in September and asked OSHA to draft up a workplace rules that implemented the order, which would mandate that every company with 100 or more employees either require they get COVID-19 vaccines or tested weekly and wear face masks. Companies that fail to comply would face $14,000 fines for every infraction, according to OSHA rules, which they set to take effect on January 4th before the courts got involved. Last week, a three-member panel of the 5th U.S. US Circuit Court of Appeals in New Orleans cited grave statutory and constitutional concerns in upholding the stay on implementation of the mandate. Um, the appeals court initially issued an emergency stay on enforcement of the rules on November 6th before admitting that decision last week. Okay, so what we're seeing here, and we're going to opine about this just a bit, is this thing getting challenged. And this is what we've, we've kind of been waiting for this to happen. We knew this was going to happen. It's going to end up in the Supreme Court. And somebody asked earlier, like, what do you think is going to happen with, with this when it does reach the Supreme Court? Well, it's 50-50. Like, I'm really not sold on, on what they're going to do. I mean, it is a 6-3 conservative court, but that doesn't really mean anything, as we've seen, right? So, super curious. I do think this is unconstitutional. The, the, they were trying to, to, to fit this in, you know, wherever they could. Right. So they, what they used was an OSHA rule that, um, dealt with things like asbestos and dangerous chemicals in the workplace that, that related to a danger, dangerous workplace, which is absolutely the role of something like OSHA, uh, when it comes to people getting mesothelioma and shit like that. But that doesn't really require a medical procedure in order to go to work. Right, like that—that's—that's—that's that's, that's a different kind of overreach than we're talking about um, employers, you know, being accountable for the amount of asbestos and things like that that their employees are are uh, exposed to. That's 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 apples and oranges. So, if OSHA is going to do something here, they need to create something new, which I think is going to create a whole another set of hurdles here. And I'm glad to see this held up. The problem is. You know, in, the article continues to talk about this. Is that Biden's asking that companies do this um, voluntarily? And I think that is is inappropriate, to say the least. You know, and I think what we're going to end up with is I'm saying that this is unconstitutional, if I had to guess, and but but private businesses can do whatever they want, um, which I also think is an overreach, right? I don't know if a private business asking you to get a medical procedure that you don't want so you can do your job um, is necessarily appropriate, especially if you have some kind of natural immunity. So if we had something like that, like an antibody test that was needed to be taken, these are all things that could be done, right? If it, re if you, if people were really concerned about the spread of this, and this is one thing that I, I look at a lot, if, if spread of this virus was actually the number one driver of these decisions, well, then what we would do is, as a nation, instead of buying a shit ton of Pfizer pills and giving them another fucking massive payout, right, with inflated prices for something that might work, who knows, why don't we just have a shit ton, a shit ton of antibody tests everywhere? They don't take long. They're easy to do. They're cheap to make. Some company could mass produce those and have those sent out all over the place. We could have a monthly stipend of fucking antibody test to see if you're vaccinated or if you've got natural immunity, how strong your antibodies are, and if it's safe for you to go do your thing. 
and see where you're at. See what's going on. See what level of risk you're at because the strength of your antibodies is going to be directly correlated with the amount of risk that you're putting yourself in. Does that make sense? I mean, it don't, that doesn't seem that controversial to me. It seems like a much, if you're really worried about community spread, then that would be the way to go about um, dealing with that. And, and OSHA could, I mean, we could all have these things. They're not that expensive. I mean, they cost $20 now because the price is inflated, but they probably cost 25 cents, 50 cents to make. It's not hard. It's not at all hard. So we need some innovation here. We need something to be done that that actually d- addresses the problem and one respects immunity from any way. Whether you get immunity from a vaccine and a booster or whatever you want to do, or whether you have natural immunity, like whatever it is that you have, if you are protected, then you're protected. If you you can't spread COVID if you don't have COVID. Like these are things that we need to understand that are just common sense. So really good stuff here. We're not going to talk about it too much longer, but I wanted to bring this up because I know people are, are hyped on this, but I think a lot of people already were forced to make a decision they didn't want to make. And I'm curious if there's legal action there. So I think the decision by the Supreme Court um, will influence whether people have legal recourse if they were forced to do a thing they did not want to do. If you were forced to have a medical procedure by your employer and that comes down to be unconstitutional, I think you have legal recourse there. And I'd be really curious to see if that works out. Again, not a lawyer, so I don't know. But I would definitely if I was if I was one of those people, I would get real fucking curious about that real quick. Something that you're always gonna see me keep up with on this show is opioid addiction, opioid death, opioid overdoses, um, Things like that. It's a humongous problem in this country. Now, you may say that's happened. It's increased because of lockdowns and things like that. Well, a lot of other countries had much stricter lockdown policies than we did and did not have the explosion in opioid deaths that, quote, created a staggering increase. Yearly overdose deaths top 100,000 for the first time. So, this is from NBC News here. Drug overdose deaths in the United States surpassed 100,000 in a 12-month period for the first time. The CDC said Wednesday, a troubling milestone amid an already devastating period for the country. The number of overdose deaths rose 29% from 78,000 in April from April 2019 to April 2020 to 100,306 the following 12 months. The data from the CDC National Center for Health Statistics is considering a provision is considered provisional but it is good indication of what the final number numbers will show next month. So we've got a heat map here. Uh, Vermont had an increase of 69.9%, West Virginia 62% uh, Kentucky, 54%, Louisiana, 51%, Tennessee, 50 Mississippi, 49 California, 47 um, Alaska, 46 Kansas, 45 South Carolina, 45 Oregon, 45 Minnesota, 38 New Mexico, 37 North Carolina, 36 Texas, 36 Georgia, 36 Nevada, 35 Washington, 35 These are huge numbers. The only places it went down um, were South Dakota, New Hampshire, and then New Jersey. And they went down by like a fraction of a percent in most cases. So we have to look at this and we have to really understand that what we're doing isn't working. Okay? We have to really be mindful of the fact that prescription drug companies have capture over our healthcare system along with health insurance companies. And people develop dependency, chemical dependency. And, and I want we, I had a little bit of a debate with somebody about this on Instagram the other day. There's a difference in chemical dependency and addiction. 
Okay, you can be addicted to things and not chemically dependent. Gambling, sex, porn, shit like that, right? That's an, it's an illegitimate addiction. And then addiction and chemical dependency can go together. But then you have someone like Jordan Peterson, who was physically physically dependent upon, right? Benzodiazepines. Benzos. So he had to go through a detox process, which is a similar to addiction. But it's a, it's a, we have some subtle nuances there. And I think a lot of this is chemical dependency. I think a lot of this is people being overprescribed these drugs for longer periods of time than are necessary, and then the, the, the fucking doctor notices that you've become dependent on these things, and what do they do? What do they do then? They take them away. They take them away. So you have to resort to what? Buying them? Well, what happens when you can't buy Oxy? What's your next best option, right? Well, you buy some, some Oxy that's from the street. Well, that might be pressed with fentanyl. Right, and fentanyl makes up, uh, or these other opioids make up about seventy percent of these overdoses. So seventy-five percent of these. So we've got to be really mindful of this and and address the root cause. Okay, one fentanyl is a huge problem, a humongous problem. Debt. This is, and you have to consider many of these also deaths of despair, homelessness crisis. People don't are out of work. People are depressed. People are alone. Like the lockdowns and things like that. And just the general energetics of the whole entire fucking country and the fear that we're living in all play a part in these deaths. Now, this is the United States. People don't like being told what to do. If you are a pro-lockdown, mask-up, vaccine mandate type of person, if you're one of those people, you have to be held responsible for these deaths as well. It's part of the process here. It's part of what happens when you fuck people's lives up, right? We don't have a socialized healthcare system. In other countries, people are able to find help. In other countries, you don't go to prison for being an addict, okay? People can go to the doctor in other countries and not worry about the gigantic burden that comes with that. That's not the case here. So that's part of the process as well. So I'm wondering why, right? When you go and, and you get an option if you get, a, get arrested for shooting up in the street, right? You get an option. Do you want to go to rehab for six months or do you want to go to prison? One doesn't cost more than the other when it comes to the state, okay? So I know you're going to have people like Charlie Kirk saying, oh, it's fucking handouts and, and coddling addicts. But that would mean that you're a piece of shit if you think that, honestly. We need a better system. People like to think this is the best country in the world. I don't, I don't agree. I don't think that's one, a measure you can actually make. It's a subjective kind of judgment on the thing. But how can you say that when you have the highest number of people behind bars and the highest number per capita of opioid overdoses and overdose deaths in general? And we're one of the only fucking developed countries in the world that allows pharmaceutical companies to advertise on TV. Like it's a goddamn super soaker or something. Like it is, and no one wants to address these. People get frustrated with me because I was a Bernie Sanders supporter. And they don't understand, like, this is why. He was the only politician that I saw out there that didn't have the pharmaceutical industry's hand up his ass. And this shit matters to me. I've dealt with addiction my entire life in my family. I've had to work through so much shit because of addiction. So many broken relationships. 
so much anger and hatred and disdain and judgment. It's terrible. It's terrible. And we don't we don't want to fix it. It's like we don't it's like we ignore it. Homelessness, opioid addiction, prescription drug overdoses, overprescription of drugs, impersonal relationships with doctors. Like this is a really fucked up system that we have and all we hear from conservatives is well, people love their private health care insurance. Who? More and more gig workers have to pay $500 a month for that shit. I think ours is three fifty dollars or something like that each. And my deductible is like $11 million. We're, we're, you're making excuses for corruption. And when your entire healthcare system is driven by a profit motive and completely captured by big pharma. This is what happens when you get a bottle of Oxycontin for getting your wisdom teeth taken out at 16 years old or you break your collar blown playing hockey or some shit. That can fundamentally fuck your life up. And we don't address it. We just make excuses for it. And then say words like free market and innovation. It's crazy. It's crazy. But hopefully, because now we're in the six digits yearly for overdose deaths, somebody will address this. Somebody will. I hope. hope somebody makes this part of their campaign. I don't give a fuck which side of the aisle they're on. I do not give one actual fuck. But it's something we got to talk about, guys. And this isn't an upbeat show today. This is not what we're doing here. Talking about civilian deaths and <laughs> unjust war crimes perpetuated by our military that we need to take responsibility for. And 100,000 lives. That's enough to fill the Alabama football stadium. Think about that. Turn on, turn on football this Saturday. Look at a full stadium of people at the, in the SEC and say, that many people died of drug overdoses and then talk to me about innovation and free markets as if power doesn't coagulate and influence the incentives for those markets. We're incentivized. Addiction is incentivized. Lack of wellness is incentivized by these markets. And no one wants to do a thing about it. No one in a position of power because all they've got to do is write a check to Kirsten Cinema for a million dollars so she can win re-election. And she just changes her fucking mind. It's that easy. That's the world we live in. And now it's time for that part of the show, y'all. We're wrapping it up. We are wrapping it up. It's time for that part of the show that I love. And I hope you love it too. I'm going to give you something to think about. All right. So I've been thinking a little bit. Sometimes I think about things. 
And I'm noticing with all this stuff that's going on, right, this kind of, let's call it what it is, a rise in authoritarianism, a decrease in basic freedoms. It's like a flexing, flexing the power a little bit from the bottom to the top. And then I get to think about this, get to thinking about this um, kind of coldish war that we've got going on with China here and how powerful China has become. Now, China's in a situation where they've got their own problems. They've got the biggest uh, income inequality in the world. Um, they have a generation of only boys, pretty much. So that's going to be a problem. Their population is going to decrease, which they'll have to do something about that, which will probably lead to a, some kind of war with Taiwan or, or um, reclaiming of Taiwan as they see it. Um, you know, things, things will get weird, but I had this conversation with someone the other day. I said, would you rather be the global superpower, which we are, the United States is, or would you rather be free? Right. And you may think those things aren't mutually exclusive, but I would argue that they are now. No, they didn't used to be, they didn't used to be, but I think they are now because what we've seen from someone like China is that authoritarianism and capitalism blended together in some kind of bastardized hybrid model is incredibly powerful for rapid growth. And having a very obedient and controlled population is also very productive if your goal is power. That is China. What we see in the United States is it 330 million people who don't like being told what to do. Okay? Now you may say, well, liberals like being told what to do. Yeah, they like being told what to do by other liberals, but not by the other side of the aisle. And there's things that liberals are more pro-freedom on than conservatives. Sorry, that's the reality. It seems like pro-freedom when it's your idea and your ideology. <laughs> right? So... If I had to have that question, if I, if I had to make that decision for myself and people that I know, I would say, hey, I'd rather be free than um, a global superpower or the global superpower. That's what I would choose, right? And most people that I know would choose the same thing. Maybe you would, maybe you wouldn't. But if you had to choose, right, as a thought experiment. Now, if you are a general, a politician, in the deep state somewhere, what do you think they would choose? Right? If you're the Koch brothers, what would they choose? Freedom or power? I think they choose power. I think the CIA would choose power and leverage. I think um, the federal government in general would choose power because we're used to power. We're used to flexing our dick all over the world. That's not what we want, right? Or is it? It's not what I want. And this whole thing could be some kind of constructed psyop to see if we could become more compliant in order to compete with a rapidly expanding China. Their power's expanded. Their innovation has expanded. Of course, they just steal shit, so whatever, right? Who's going to stop them? Us? We're going to go to war with them? Is that what we're going to do? World War Three? Does that seem like a good idea? I don't know. 
I feel like we'd probably lose. And then we wouldn't have a choice to be free (laughs) or powerful. We'd have that choice made for us. So, what I want you to think about is, one, does that make sense? Does this whole song and dance seem like it might be a test to see what we can do to compete with an obedient, powerful nation with, let's admit, sketchy moral guidelines at best. And would you rather be the most powerful or the most free? Maybe we don't have to make that decision. But maybe we will have to make that decision at some point. Anyway, that's something to think about. Thank you guys so much for being here. Join the Patreon if you want to support this show, what we're doing. If you want new stuff, you want a bonus episode every week. I got it for you, baby. Oh, we got Thanksgiving coming up. Hope you guys have a great time arguing with your family. New Politically Homeless merch is out. Don't wait. Don't wait for it. Until next time, I love you guys. Keep your head on straight. Bye-bye.